Amen. You may be seated. We are going to look at the book of Judges today. That sounds fun, doesn't it? You guys are just hyped up with excitement about the book of Judges. We're um, really, the, the key passage of Scripture we're going to look at is, is in Judges chapter 2. But what we're going to do this morning is we are going to do kind of a survey of the book of the overall uh, book of Judges. So I, I got a question for you. What comes to mind when you think of a judge? What comes to mind when you think of a judge? Now, some of you have memories related to judges that you are like, Troy, we, we don't want to talk about that this morning. You know what I mean? Um, if you're into reality TV, uh, who are some of the judges on reality TV? Judge Judy? Judge Walkner? Wapner. Okay, I thought you were talking Texas Ranger Walkner. He, he can do anything. Um, Judge Matthias? It's, it's so intriguing to me to think how much money would they have to pay me to get in front of a judge on national television, air all of my dirty laundry, and basically that judge and that show is being paid. They are making money by making fun of you and all of your dirty laundry. How much money would that take for that to be visible to the entire world, right? Um, some of you who are into animation, what movie was it um, Doc Hudson played on? Cars, right? He was the judge there. But most of the time, whatever your experiences with judges are, I think I can say pretty much across the board that whenever we think of a judge doing their job, typically... It's someone who is clarifying what we did wrong, and then they are handing down their sentence to us. You, you, you never see this in a courtroom, but you know, it just seems like judges are never in the position to tell us when we did something right. You know, order in the court. Would the defendant Troy please rise? Um, you know, the jury has found you guilty of just being one awesome dude. <laughs> Doesn't happen that way. Oh, based on whatever, yeah. Oh. Am I the only pastor in the community that gets heckled? <laughs> um, but it, it never seems that a judge is in that position um, to do that. And so as a result, most of the time we're dealing with a judge, at least while they're actually doing their jobs, we get pretty anxious about it. It's, it's, it's the same feeling that I get when I'm in a vehicle and cruising down the road, look in the rear view mirror, and I see lights flashing, right? Because once again, Krista... <laughs> uh, oh, now I got another judge looking at me. Um, you know, I, I know the role that judges are called to play in our society, and because of that, naturally, we're kind of anxious around them. <clears throat> but this morning, um, we're talking about a period of 300 years in the Old Testament 
that's referred to as the period of judges. In fact, as I've already mentioned, there's a book in the Old Testament called Judges. Now, the description of a judge in the Old Testament is often different than what judges typically are today. Now, the Old Testament judges, judges today, are similar in the way that they would call truth, truth, and they would call falsehood, falsehood. So they were similar in that way. But judges in the Old Testament, their job really was to, in a sense, help get people out of jail, help get people out of trouble rather than putting them in jail. So, so let me set the stage. The nation of Israel is now occupying of the land which God had promised to Abraham some 700 years prior to this time. With God's help, they've conquered the land um, under the leadership of a guy by the name of Joshua. They are no longer foreigners in this land. They are no longer slaves anywhere. This is their land. And God's presence is residing amongst them in the tabernacle Forgiveness is available to them through the sacrificial system. I mean, everything's going great at this point with the children of Israel. God's law, specifically the Ten Commandments, instructs the children of Israel on how they are to relate to God, how they are to relate to each other. And if they just follow the plan that God has prescribed, He's going to continue to bless them. It's going to be all good, right? Um, but they don't follow God's plan because there's a fundamental issue that we learned about, uh, I think it was last Sunday in Genesis chapter 3, and that is the issue of sin. And this sin is still reigning in the hearts of the people. This sin keeps raising its ugly head, wrecking relationships, getting people into trouble, and on and on and on. Now, under the leadership of Joshua, things were going pretty well for the Israelites. There was blessing, there were, they were conquering, there was prosperity. But I believe it was actually actual, after Joshua died, um, the children of Israel made two mistakes. Um, and because of these two mistakes, there, there was disaster. Mistake number one was this. They were instructed by God to drive out the pagans that were in the land with them. In other words, other people who were worshiping other gods, God told the children of Israel, drive them out. But in Judges chapter 1, verse 28, it says they didn't do it, and their lack of obedience in that command would come back later to haunt them as they allowed pagan worship to remain in their community. And, and can I just make a side note here? The environment within, with, within that we place ourselves, the, the environment which we place ourselves within has a direct impact on our relationship with God. Now, you might like that statement. You might not. You might agree. You might not. But that's just reality. The environment in which we find ourselves, the environment in which we place ourselves, 
has a direct impact on our relationship with God. And so the first Israel mistake that the Israelites made was they didn't follow God's command to drive out the pagans, to drive out the, the false gods. The second mistake that we're introduced to right at the beginning of the book of Judges, uh, which helps us to understand the rest of the story, is, is found in jo Judges chapter 2, verse 10, and it says this. Another generation grew up who knew neither the Lord nor what he had done for Israel. Now let me say this. It was a huge mistake then. And it is a huge mistake now. When we fail to model for the generations following us what it means to serve the Lord. It is a horrific mistake when we don't purposefully equip the next generation that follows us to worship God Jehovah. We, we've said it for some time now that we are a church of students. Now that doesn't mean we don't want other folks here. But we put a lot, purposefully put a lot of time energy, money, resources into young people. This is why. Um, Christianity is just one generation away from extinction. You know, to, to not bring our children along with the experience of knowing God and doing God's work, to not sit down and teach them the stories of the Bible, to not teach them about God's faithfulness to us is a serious mistake. And uh, if I could, may I speak to those of you who have kids, kids, teenagers, whatever. Um, if, and I say this in love, I'm, I'm not up here being a judge. Um, but if you're not making church a top priority... You are making a mistake that will last for generations. I'm preaching to the choir. You guys are here, right? But I want you to remember that. If you're not making church a top priority, you're making a mistake that will literally last for generations to come. You know, we can, and again, admittedly preaching to the choir, you guys are here, we can say that God is number one in our life all we want. We can say that God's house is incredibly important to us all we want. But our actions show what we really think. And let me tell you, I've had three kids who are now teenagers and young adults. They know what the real truth is no matter what you say. Right? Um, so it was a big mistake. Then, In fact... This morning in the first service, we just give people options as to when they want to have their children dedicated with service and stuff. And so we had some children dedicated this morning in the first service. And uh, one of the things I said to the congregation was that before we blink, these kids that we are dedicating this morning, they will be the leaders. And um, 
the stage that we set for them, what we teach them, what we model for them, uh, the testimonies that we give to them, when they move into leadership that will impact their leadership or the lack thereof, right? Are you with me? Well, it's in this context that God raises up judges to deal with the sin of the people and, as I said earlier, to help get them out of jail and to help get the children of Israel headed toward restoration. And so to understand the book of Judges in its entirety, this 300-year this period, you have to realize that there's this pattern that's going to be repeated throughout this 300 years time and time Again, and having insight into that pattern, which I'm going to explain to you in just a moment, is going to help us understand how we today should relate to God. So the first step in the cycle of this 300 years with the children of Israel through the book of Judges, the first step in the cycle is they sin, right? They're not obedient to God. When you see this overarching cycle that I'm talking about repeated time and time again, the most common phrase in the book of Judges is simply that they did evil in the eyes of the Lord. Now, what was the primary evil, what was the primary sin that they committed? And the answer is simply they would worship other gods, little g. This is a violation of the first of the Ten Commandments, which says that we should have no other gods before the Lord our God. And what you have to understand is that when you disobey that command, it opens up the door for all kinds of other evil to enter into your lives, right? And so the first step is sin. Um, if you make your top priority to know God, if you make your top priority to love God, it will shape your life into a God-honoring life. It will change the way you think. It will change the desires of your heart where their desires that what God desires. In short, our thoughts and our actions will be consistent with the heartbeat of God, but if your love for God becomes secondary, you leave yourself wide open for evil. So the primary sin of the Israelites was that they worshiped other gods, they sinned, and then the next step is that in that cycle is that that sin led to oppression, okay? It led to a place where when we sin, in essence, just like the children of Israel or even us today, when we sin, in essence, we're saying, God, I've got this. You know, I, I want to do this my way. I, I want to do my thing, right? And so God says, okay, you know, have at it. I'm not going to manipulate you. And so when the children of Israel did that, he removed his hand of perfection or protection from them, which allowed other nations to, in essence, come in and bully the children of Israel. Uh, God was promising to bless them as long as they followed his plan. His, his hand was on them. No one could get in and boil them or, or conquer them. But after they sin, after they said, God, we want to do this our way, he removes his hand of protection and allows other nations, that, that just opens up the door for other nations to come in and, and take over their community. And in Judges chapter 2, we get some insight, kind of behind-the-scenes insight, 
as to what's going on. This is God speaking in Judges chapter 2, verse 22. He says, I will use them, talking about the other nations, I will use them to test Israel and see whether they will keep the way of the Lord and walk in it as their ancestors did. Okay? So God is using this oppression from these pagan nations to be a consequence of their sin to use those pagan nations to discipline the children of Israel. And what we find out as we read through the book of Judges, this cycle happens six times. Six times. I'm not the brightest guy in the world, but I'm thinking, okay, maybe I missed the point the first time around the cycle, but by the second or third time, I kind of get how this is going to go. It's not a guessing game. Six times they go through this cycle. And each time the Israelites are going to be oppressed by a different pagan nation. And so the cycle, there's sin, then there's oppression. The oppression ultimately leads to repentance for the children of Israel. All right? Um, and so what happens is the Israelites, they, they find themselves at rock bottom. They turn back to God in repentance. You know, it's just interesting how the human nature doesn't, you know, it's not that different today than it was in the book of Judges. And when they repent, this is where the judge comes in to the community. Up until this point, there has been no judges present in the, in the communities, but it's at the time when the Israelites are repenting that the judges come onto the scene and the judges are going to lead the people through the experience of repentance. Now, we often get in trouble. We often cry out to God. We want God to deliver us in some way, shape, or form, but we don't want it to be via the avenue of repentance. We want it to be some other way. But the only way deliverance comes is through the avenue of repentance for the Israelites and for us today. The only way God delivers us is, is when we say, God, I'm sorry. You know, that was just dumb on my part. I need you. There's, there's this big churchy word called contrition. There's this godly sorrow for sin. Man, I'm not just sorry because I just got caught. I'm sorry because I really realize my lostness. And there's this repentance, this about face that takes place. And so the way of God is uh, when we confess, when we repent, then finally that leads to deliverance. And so the judges come in at the point of repentance when the Israelites are at rock bottom, they're in their oppression, they're crying out to God. God hears their cries. He raises up a judge who leads them through this period of repentance, which ultimately leads to deliverance. And so you have this 300-year period in the Bible, uh, the history of the children of Israel, this 300-year period that can be summed up in four words. It's a cycle that just happens over and over again. Sin, oppression, repentance, deliverance. And, and it's very clear that it's not a judge, but it's God who is behind the scenes, who's orchestrating this deliverance from oppression. 
And multiple times the Israelites experienced this cycle, right? Sin, oppression, repentance, deliverance. Now, you say, Troy, that was a great history lesson on this 300-year period of the Israelites in the Old Testament, but what in the world does that have to do with me right here and right now in 2021 in Mount Vernon, Ohio? Here's what it has to do with us. Too often, the same cycle takes place in our lives. We sin. What's our sin? The, the primary sin... The primary problem is that we don't keep God, Jehovah, number one in our life. We put all kinds of other gods, little g, in that number one spot in our heart, and we kick God out of that, that spot. We would never say it like that, but that's what we do. And we get steeped in addictions. Our, our selfishness runs wild. There's anger. There's pride. There's deception. We chase after all the wrong things. You know, we're probably no one in this room is ever going to find yourself bowing at a physical idol that was created, carved out by some man, right? We're probably not going to do that. But I want to tell you something. Too often we serve other gods that are just as real. Um, God's little G. Some of those, let me list a few while we're all having fun. Uh, you know what? If I were to probably pick out one of the top gods that we often find ourselves worshiping, it's money and possessions. Um, money and possessions. Now, there are some of you who are new to the church, you're new to your faith. There are some here who may not be a Christian at all. You're just kind of checking it out. You're just kind of, and, and that's great, man. We love to have you. There are some here who are farther down the road, though. And you know that God's Word teaches that we are to tie the tenth of our income to the storehouse, which is the local church, so that the kingdom of the work of God can be moved forward. And yet you refuse to do that, and you live in disobedience and you're not honoring God first with your money and your possessions. And so what in essence is happening is that you are putting the God of money and possessions above God Jehovah going, this is more important to me, God. Keep your hands off this. I'll handle this how I want. And there you are. You are worshiping a God, little g. Um, that was so fun. Let's go on. Uh, Oh, status is another one. You know, some people, man, I want to keep climbing that ladder. I want to do whatever I have to to look good in front of my peers. I want to look like I've got it all together, and I just keep climbing up and up and up, and we're doing everything, and, and we find status being in that number one spot. Another God, convenience. Now, again, preaching to the choir because you're here. Convenience. Ah, I don't feel like going to church this morning. I don't feel like taking my kids to kid life or to teen life or whatever. I don't feel like serving anywhere. I don't feel like helping out in the community. It's just not convenient for me. Convenience becomes the God in that number one spot. Here's one. I'm not even sure if this is a real word or phrase. I guess it's a phrase. I just... I. I I thought about it and I thought, okay, these are two words I'm going to put together. It may not make any sense to you, but it makes sense in my brain. But this, 
And, and if you have a better phrase, let me know after church. But this is the phrase that often becomes our God we worship, especially in 2021. Cultural relativity. Cultural relativity. Culture says this is okay. This is just the way we are. This is how it works. God's word clearly says that's sin. Culture says, I can do this, I can do that. God's word says, no, that brings destruction. Cultural relativity is when we choose to live by this rather than this because we have become so sensitive to being offensive or standing up for truth or whatever and we want to be team players and we want to play along and we find ourselves worshiping the God of cultural relativity when this is lie and this is truth. Religion can become your God. You know, when you're just kind of going through the motions, you're just kind of checking the stuff off, you're just kind of doing the thing, but there's no real aliveness or, or there's no real relationship with Jesus and you're just kind of doing the stuff because that's what you're supposed to do. Religion becomes your God. Um, hobbies. Boy, hobbies become a God real fast. When hobbies are keeping us or us and our children away from church and away from midweek stuff and away from any connection to your church family. And I get it. We grew up with kids playing baseball. I know what it is to do all of that and stuff. But I want to tell you, there was no doubt in our kids' mind that God was number one and church was a priority. And if, if we had to be in Indiana on a weekend, man, we were still going to have them back at Kid Life or Teen Life on Wednesday and we were still going to... You know what I'm saying? All right, I'm done rambling. All right, here, here comes an important clarification. You don't have to sin. You don't have to sin. What is sin? The simplest way I can answer what is sin is just when we're disobedient to what God wants for our lives. It's that simple. We don't have to live in sin. I believe that the Spirit of God can help us make right choices in life. Now, I'm not, I'm not preaching flawlessness. Hear me this morning. There's always room for forgiveness in the life of the believer. There, there's always going to be times where we got to confess to somebody or, or ask someone to forgive us or ask God to forgive us and, you know, whatever, our attitude wasn't right or whatever. But, but what I'm saying is that we don't have to be controlled by sin. Back to the Israelites. They did not have to worship other gods. It was a choice they made. So what we're talking about here is I'm just talking about the cycle that happens when we do sin. So when we sin, that leads us just like it did with the Israelites, the experience of oppression. Our sin oppresses us in numerous ways. It affects our relationships with each other. It affects our relationships with God. It, it, it affects us emotionally. And it affects us 
financially, it affects us in, in every way. It, it definitely impacts us for eternity because the Bible very clearly teaches that sin leads to what? Death. Right. So sin leads to oppression, which hopefully, not always, unfortunately, but hopefully leads to repentance. Right? You know how it goes. We, we hit rock bottom. We, we messed it all up. We ask God to deliver us. We confess. We, we repent. And can I give you some good news? And, and by the way, we're not to use this as a license to sin. God's Word teaches contrary to that. This is not a license to just go out and do whatever you want to and go, oh, God will forgive me. It'll be okay. And to flippantly use this. But, but I love 1 John 1.9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just, and he will forgive us of our sins, and he will purify us from all unrighteousness. Remember, that's, that's after repentance. That's after you've done an about face. You know, you might think that you failed God too many times. You might think that you failed God in too big of a way or whatever, that he would never want you back. But here's the good news of the gospel. He wants you to be in relationship with him. He loves you, and if you confess, he will restore. So there's sin, oppression, repentance, deliverance, which is kind of the theme of the book of Judges. Now, you might remember if you were here last Sunday, I told you that in the Bible there are two storylines that run parallel to each other all throughout the entirety of Scripture, right? Right? There's the upper story that runs throughout the entirety of Scripture. There's the lower story that runs throughout the entirety of Scripture. If you weren't here last week, look it up online. It will help all of this make sense, right? The, the upper story is the big overall plan of God. Here, here's the summary of the upper story. God creates everything, including you and me, including all humanity. God's big vision when he creates the heavens and the earth is to ultimately, it's ultimately about you and me. God wants to bring his community, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, to our community, to have community with us. And so God's big vision in this upper story is to be in community with us. You get to the last two chapters in this upper story of Revelations, and basically it talks about creation part two. There's a new heaven and a new earth created. That's the overarching plan of God, right? That's his big vision. But as we talked about last Sunday in Genesis chapter 3, uh, sin entered into the picture when Adam and Eve were disobedient to God and they said, God, take your hands off. We want to do this our way. They ate the forbidden fruit and all. And once sin entered into the picture via our choice, not God's, it separated us from God forever. And the community that, that God desired was broken. And then this lower story, the rest of the Bible is basically story after story after story after story after story of the extent that God will go to to get us back clear to hanging on an old rugged cross for us. And I don't know how it works. I can't explain it. But all of these lower stories, man, look it up if you weren't here last Sunday. All these lower stories, they somehow ultimately support this upper story and the book of Judges is a part of one of those stories. All right, I want to do this. We're, we're going to close in a song in just a minute, but I, I, if you would, man, I'd just love for you to bow your heads, if you would. Just, I, just everyone bow your heads and just, 
kind of draw a mental circle around yourself, forget what you're having for lunch, forget what's going on this week. And I want to talk to two different groups of people. First of all, if you are not a Christian, why in the world would you not want to have a relationship with God that loves you that much? You know, Satan has blinded so many into thinking that they know what's best for their self while all the time they're living in sin, which does nothing but bring oppression and, and death and destruction and, and aloneness. If that's you this morning, I just want to testify of the fact that there's a much better way. Man, God loves you and God has so much more for you that brings peace and joy and new life. And that's available for you this morning. I've been asking this question a lot lately and I've been doing it on purpose. Is there anyone here that just by an uplifted hand that say, Pastor Troy, I, I don't have that relationship with God. I've never, I've never purposefully asked God into my heart. I've never purposefully asked Him to forgive me of my sins. But this morning, Troy, I, I want to have that relationship with God. Is there anyone who would just raise your hand, hold it up high, and keep it up there? Because I, I'm going to lead you into just a simple prayer. Praise the Lord. The work's already been done. All you have to do is confess that you need it and accept it, and God's got it ready for you. It's not complicated. So I'm just going to hold for a few seconds before I talk to a second group of folks. Is there anyone here that raise your hand and say, that's me, Pastor Troy. I, I, I want to receive Christ as the leader of my life today. All right, let me talk to a second group of folks. Those of you with your heads still bowed, you're, you're a Christian. And I, I invite you in this moment to just ask God to search your heart. Just give God permission in this time where you're going to open yourself up and you're going to say, God, I, I want you to put the spotlight of heaven on my soul for just a moment. And ask God this question. Is there anything in my life that has taken that number one spot in my heart that is meant for only Him? Is there anything that has pushed God out of that number one spot in my heart? Because if something else has taken that spot, God loves you enough this morning just to gently point it out and go, hey Troy, You've got this thing, and it's taking precedence over where I'm supposed to be. And God will just gently nudge you and go, you need to surrender that back to me and get me back in the number one spot. With that question, is there any, any of you that would just by an uplifted hand say, Pastor Troy, that's me. I, you know, the Spirit's dealing with me about this thing or this person or whatever in my life, and I, I just... I need to get that, I need to get my priorities straightened back out. Is there anyone right now? Amen. I see that hand. Praise the Lord. I see that hand. Praise the Lord. I see that hand. Amen. 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 Over here, I see that hand. Thank you. Anyone else? Amen. I see that hand. Anyone else? Amen. I see, I see those hands over there. Amen. Anyone else? Lord, I bring these awesome people before you who have raised their hands and they've just confessed, Lord, 
you know, I feel like there's this thing in my life that that is taken priority and taken precedence over you at times. And Lord, what they're saying this morning is that I don't want that. What they're saying this morning is that I want you to be number one in my life. And so God, whatever that might be, whether it's money, possessions, friends, whether it's, um, whether it's uh, a job, whether it's attitude, whether, whatever it might be, Lord, I don't know. Lord, would you help in this moment through the power of your Holy Spirit help them make that transition and to put you back in your rightful place. Do it now, Lord. Help them in the name of Jesus. We're going to sing this morning. And it's a song, just a great song of worship. And, and I love this song, We Are the Sons, We Are the Daughters of God. Listen, w when I talk to you about the book of Judges, when I talk to you about sin, when I talk to you about oppression, listen, this is not God beating anyone down. This is God saying, I love you so much that I want you to have the best plan, the best way for your life. We are his sons, we are his daughters. And so I want you just to, to worship him this morning as we close. And in just a moment, I'll come back out and close us in prayer. But just soak in what you're singing. Think about what you're singing and know how much that God loves you and how much God has an awesome plan for your life. Caleb, if you guys would lead us as we worship. The altars are open. If anyone wants to come pray, you can stand or sit, whatever you want. In His love, 
Lord, thank you for that reminder this morning. Lord, the only reason you correct us is because you love us. If you didn't love us, you just let it go. But Lord, you correct us, you guide us, you instruct us because you love us. You know what's best for us. So Lord, this morning we just want to end by simply thanking, thanking you for loving us so big. Now, Father, help us now to leave this building and to love others just as well. Help us as we leave this building as we love others so well to make you famous and to point people to you. Thank you, Father, for your presence and for the faithfulness of your spirit and for your word. And all God's people said, amen. amen. You are dismissed. Thank you for being with us this morning. You have planted seeds among the ashes.